So when he asked me that question whether I like to take a topic on prayer, I was actually spoiled for choice because if you look through the scriptures, there are so many uh, passages that you can pick from uh, of uh, prayer. Right? I mean, for example, you could uh, take um, King David. And when King David committed adultery, had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, the famous prayer of David when he confessed his sin. Right? So that's another interesting prayer. We also have the prayer of Hezekiah, uh, when the Assyrians surrounded uh, um, the city of Jerusalem, uh, Hezekiah, and then uh, gave a letter to Hezekiah. Hezekiah spread that letter before the Lord and prayed. That was another interesting prayer that we can uh, read from uh, Isaiah, book of Isaiah. Uh, we also need read of Nehemiah's prayer. And so when Nehemiah was uh, given the news that the walls of Jerusalem and the Jerusalem was destroyed, he wanted to approach uh, um, the king at that moment in time. Uh, and he prayed before the Lord, before he could approach the king. So we read of Nehemiah's prayer in rebuilding Jerusalem, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, in the New Testament, we can pick the Lord's prayer. The Lord prayed for his disciples. The Lord prayed for all of us as believers uh, before he went to the cross, before his crucifixion. So we are actually spoiled for choice when we really look for passages where we can pick uh, regarding prayer. But this morning I thought I'll uh, pick Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's prayer. Uh, and the reason as to why I picked Daniel's prayer is because I believe that this particular prayer of Daniel is very, very relevant to our time today. In fact, in this prayer, we find from verses 24 onwards to 27, we find the backbone of biblical prophecy. So I'm going to spend some time actually looking at the backbone of the biblical prophecy before uh, looking at Nehem, uh, the prayer of Daniel. So with that in mind, let us look uh, or read Daniel chapter 9. And I'll just only read the first three verses initially, right? Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. It says here, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Now, I'm not sure whether you get the sense, but when you read Daniel chapter 9, you get the sense that Daniel would have misunderstood Jeremiah's uh, prophecy of 70 years of desolation. You get that sense. And that's how I perceive it when I read Daniel chapter 9. Uh, let, let me spend a couple of seconds actually looking at the background uh, context of this 70-year prophecy of, of Jeremiah. Now, when you look at Daniel, Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians in the year 605 BC. And that was the first invasion of the Babylonians. He was just a teenager at that point in time. Someone reckoned uh, that he would have been between 15 to 16 years old, probably younger than some of you boys who are here. But he was just a teenager when he was taken captive. Uh, and that was the first invasion. And after the invasion, the first invasion, the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, instituted several, I would say, puppet kings, right, who were either brothers or sons of King Josiah, 
who was killed. Right? So he instituted several puppet kings, and for a period of 19 years, there were puppet kings uh, in Israel. And during this period of 19 years, until the final destruction of Israel that happened at 586 BC, I believe, during these 19 years, we had Jeremiah, the prophet. So Jeremiah spoke the word of the Lord. He prophesied uh, that Jerusalem will be desolate for 70 years. And that was the prophecy of Jeremiah. So, 70 years was actually drawing very close since the first invasion of the Babylonians. And Daniel, at this point, was a very old man. He was a man in his 80s. So I'm sorry if you are in your 80s to call you very old. But at that point in time, Daniel was an old man in his 80s. Daniel had served in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. And thereafter, he served in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar's son, Nebodius, and the co-regent, Belshazzar. Uh, and then now, he is in the first year of the Medo-Persian king Darius, and he was serving in Darius's courts. And Daniel realized at that point in time that the destruction of Jerusalem, the desolation of Jerusalem, will be finishing soon. And Daniel thought, very rightly so, that he was living in a very critical time, yet very exciting time. And he would have understood, his interpretation at that point in time was that the Messianic kingdom will now unfold very soon. The Messianic kingdom will now come. So it was with this expectation that we read of Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, his prayer of intercession, that we will be looking at very shortly. Now I believe in order to correct Daniel's misinterpretation of the 70 years of desolation prophesied by Jeremiah, that God sent angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, with the 70 weeks prophecy. Right? Uh, signaling to Daniel that the time of the Messianic kingdom is still many years ahead. And that is why we read of this uh, 70-week prophecy, or the backbone of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, this chapter, verses 24 to 27. So if you turn to 9, let's read verses 24 to 27. Right? I'll just read it out to you. It says here, I'm reading from the New King James Version, 70 years are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. It reads like a poetry, right, when you read the seventy week of prophecy. Now, one of the things that you... Are, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend some time in the seventy week prophecy. Uh, many of you hopefully should know this, uh, for you who do not, um, 
it's interesting to look through this. You must be fairly good in maths to understand what the seven-week prophecy is, right? If you have a calculator, you can take it up. Uh, but one of the things that you need to understand is that this 70-week period or the 70-week prophecy that is given here is primarily a program of events for the Jews and the holy city Jerusalem. And that is what we find in verse 24. Because verse 24 starts off by saying that 70 weeks are determined for your people, that's for the Jews, and for your holy city. Now, when you look through the scriptures, you'll realize that each week actually represents seven years. So one week is seven years. So which means seven weeks is 490 years. So please keep that in mind. 490 years, God has specifically programmed those number of years, 490 years, for the nation of Israel, for the nation of Israel and for Jerusalem, until the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. And that's what God tells Daniel, right? So still the Messianic kingdom is far away, God tells Daniel. 490 years is a time period that is programmed by the Lord for the Messianic kingdom to come. So verse 24 says that, that during this period, verse 24 says, until the establishment of the Messianic kingdom, the focus of this whole world will be on the Jews and on the city of Jerusalem. Now, one has to only look at the geopolitics today and see how it is centered on Israel, particularly on the city of Jerusalem. Right? So I would urge you all actually to read this uh, news around you of what's happening with that in mind, with that perspective in mind. Now, if you look at the history of the modern nation of Israel, on the 14th of May, 1948, when Israel was declared as a sovereign state, Right? The next day, you can see that, if you look through history, you see that, that Israel, when it was declared as a sovereign state, there were four Arab countries that launched an attack on Israel. And those four countries are Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria. It was known as the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. Then in 1967, May of 1967, many of you know about this war, many Arab nations actually mobilized their forces against uh, Israel. And in the following month, in June 1967, Israel launched a preemptive strike against Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq in what is known as today as the Six Day War. And it recaptured many of the land they lost in the 1948 Arab Israeli War. Then, on the 6th of October 1973, the armies of Egypt and Syria launched a surprise attack on Israel on the day of Yom Kippur. Right? Israeli never expected that. Of course, Israeli was, were able to successfully defeat those, their enemies, but suffered major losses. From that point onwards, consistently, when you look at the history of Israel, even up till today, there has been consistent attacks on Israel. And even today, by Hamas and Hezbollahs. And we see that. We see how the geopolitics of the world is centered around Israel and the holy city, Jerusalem. Many of you, I know, are admirers of Donald Trump. I can see that in the Facebook, right? And Donald Trump, when he actually declared Jerusalem to be Israel's capital, when he, actually, uh, when he said that, it has yet again made Jerusalem the center for political as well as religious tensions, right? And that's what verse 24 says. 
70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Let's look at religious tensions. Now you'll be surprised to see the religious tension that is happening in Jerusalem. Consider, for example, the Dome of the Rock. Well, many of you know the Dome of the Rock is located in the old city of Jerusalem. And many of you know that the Dome of the Rock is a sacred site for both Islam as well as the Jews. The reason why it's considered sacred for Muslims and for uh, Islam is that they believe that angel Gabriel actually took Muhammad to pray with Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, right, uh, on Mount Carmel. And it is on that Mount Carmel where, no, sorry, not Mount Carmel, on, um, on Mount Moriah. And it's on that mountain that the dome of the rock is built, right? And you also realize that the Jews believe that the holiest of holies was actually located close to the dome of the rock. So there is therefore this tension between Muslims and the Jews because the Dome of the Rock, that site, is the third holiest site for the nation of Islam, of the Muslims. Now you'll also need to understand this, that the center of worship for the Baha'i religion, do you know where it is? Anyone knows where Baha'i, the center of Baha'i religion is? It's on top of Mount Carmel in Israel. Right? If you go to Israel and you visit the Baha'i Gardens, and that is where Bahadullah, which is the founder of Baha'i, and Baha'i, by the way, is a, is a breakaway of the Shiite Muslim sect, that's where the center of Baha'i worship is. So you can see how Jerusalem and how Israel becomes the focus of not only geopolitical activity, but also religious tension. So verse 24 is really, really true. 70 weeks is determined for Israel and for the Holy city. And the scripture says here that 490 years or the 70 weeks, for this 70 weeks, six things must be accomplished. Six things, right? It says, number one, in verse 24, to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to set up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy city. Six things have to, be, have to be accomplished during this 490 year period. And the first three speaks of Israel's transgression or rebellion. It actually refers to one specific act of rebellion, which is the rejection of the Lord as their Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So this is the national sin of Israel. And Daniel was told that this national sin will be brought to an end. There will also be an end to sin in the land of Israel. We know that in Romans chapter 11, verse 27, where uh, Paul refers to Isaiah and says there will be an end to the national sin of Israel, end to sin in Israel. The last three speaks of a time when righteousness will be ushered in and the most holy, which is the temple that the Lord himself will build, uh, will be anointed. And we know that all of these six things will be accomplished in the Millennium Kingdom or in the Messianic uh, Kingdom. Right? Now, with that in mind, let's look at the 70 week prophecy. The start of the 70 week prophecy is given for us in verse 25. So, verse 25 says this Know therefore and understand. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 
So the starting point of the 70-week prophecy, the start of the 490 years that we talked about earlier, is the decree. Is when the decree goes out to restore and build Jerusalem. Please note here, that's not a decree to rebuild the temple, right? That happened uh, under Zerubbabel, right? That happened under Ezra, the priest. It's not that time. It's a decree when it goes out. A decree goes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And we know when that happened. Right? So that command to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city and its walls was actually given by King Artaxerxes at the request of Nehemiah. And we read that in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now although it took 52 days for Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, it actually took around 49 years. When you go through the history of Israel, you can see that. It took about 49 years for, it, for the city to be restored and for the streets to be built. And that's what the scripture says here. And that is why you can see that it says uh, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven weeks is that 49 years. The time it, it took to rebuild finally Jerusalem. And it says here, it'll happen during troublesome times. And Nehemiah did face opposition to complete the wall and restore Jerusalem. Right? At the end of that 49 years, seven, seven weeks, <clears throat> the six, second subdivision of 62 weeks begins. I'm hoping, I hope I'm not losing you here. Right? The second subdivision of 62 weeks begins. Right? And remember this, there is no time gap in the scripture here. No time gap between the first subdivision of seven weeks and the second subdivision of 62 weeks. So 62 weeks <clears throat> is a period of 434 years. And the end of that 62 weeks, the scripture says, that the Messiah will be cut off. <clears throat> and that's in verse 26. But not for himself. And the cutting off of the Messiah is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the crucifixion of the Lord, 69 weeks of the 70-week prophecy is complete. So therefore, in summary, this is what it means. From the time that the decree was given to rebuild the city and restore uh, Jerusalem, a period of 69 weeks, which is 483 years, are decreed before the crucifixion of the Lord. And for me, this is one of the most precise prophecies in the scriptures. Because you can calculate that very easily. And someone actually did that. Right? Uh, there's, um, many of you older folks would have read this book by Sir Robert Anderson, who was the chief of the Scotland Yard. Right? And he did this. He did this calculation. So based on the Babylonian calendar, he took the time when the decree went out to rebuild Jerusalem, and through the Babylonian calendar, he marked out 483 years, and it came to the point in time when Jesus rode in a donkey, on a donkey, visiting Jerusalem. And few days later, he was crucified. The timing is precise. And that's what the scripture tells us. Why was the Lord crucified? Very simple. And this is what Daniel was told. The Messiah was cut off not for himself, and that we find in verse 26. <clears throat> the Messiah was cut off for you and for me, not for himself. So when man sinned by choosing to disobey God, <clears throat> what did God do? Well, God said, I will give you a conscience. Try to live a life that is righteous based on your conscience. But man failed. 
Then on top of Mount Sinai, God gave man a set of laws so that by fulfilling the law, man can live by them. In this too, man failed. All what the law did was reveal man's transgression and sin. He did not have the power to save a person from sin. So when all failed, God finally sent his son, the Messiah, to pay the price for you and for me. And that is why Daniel was told the Messiah will be cut off, not for himself. Christ our Lord bore the penalty for our sins by his substitutionary death on the cross. And Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that, He, which is the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Right, coming back to this. <clears throat> the first six and nine weeks of the seven-week prophecy is known. <clears throat> As I said, it starts off with a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. It ends with the crucifixion of Christ, our Messiah. However, the beginning of the 70th week is not known. Right? That is not known. However, there are certain events that the Lord said that Gabriel told uh, Daniel would happen which we see in verse 26, those events that must occur before the 70th week begin. And verse 26 tells this to us, it says here, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolation are determined. So between the 6th and 9th and the 70th week, there are certain events, and one significant event that was prophesied here is a complete destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And who will destroy the temple? It says here, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the sanctuary. It, note here that it's not the prince who will destroy the temple, but his people. And the prince that is referred to here is the Antichrist. His coming is still in the future. It's his people who will destroy the temple. So, if you actually know the identity of the people who destroy the temple, you will actually know the identity of the Antichrist. Now, the, this particular prophecy between the 69th week and the 70th week was actually fulfilled in AD 70, right? 38, 38 years after the Lord was crucified. The complete destruction of the temple happened there. Under uh, Titus, the general, if you, if you remember, if you know the history, in AD 70, Titus invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and every stone was pulled out of the temple. The reason is because gold melted of the fire and it seeped between the stones. So they pulled out every little stone in order to get at the gold. And the Lord himself prophesied about this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone of this temple shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Okay? Right. So, knowing therefore that it was the Roman soldiers that invaded the city and destroyed the temple, the Antichrist therefore must be of Gentile origin, Roman origin. Right? It's therefore to interpret, it's, good to, it's appropriate for us to interpret that the Antichrist should come from the Roman Empire or the revived Roman Empire. Uh, because the Antichrist must come from the Roman Empire, it is interesting for us to actually watch what is happening in the world today. And that is why I say, when you look at the world events today, look at it from the perspective of what the scripture tells you. 
see what is happening in European Union and all of the countries that are actually part of the Roman Empire and the events that is unfolding there. Now, one thing that you must understand is that the Roman Empire had two divisions, and that is why in this particular statue that is here, this is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. You can see two legs. The Roman Empire was split into two divisions. One division was headquartered in Constantinople, which is uh, Istanbul today in Turkey. That is the Eastern Roman Empire. The Western Roman Empire was situated in Rome, which is the Vatican today. So when, no, when the Roman Empire actually disintegrated, it started splintering into several monarchies. So you had the French, the Spanish, the British monarchies, Turkey, parts of Northern Europe, uh, Northern Africa, and it went all the way to the Baltic areas and Baltic region. And that's all formed part and parcel of the Roman Empire. That's the revived Roman Empire. So please, when you see geopolitics happening today, consider the revived Roman Empire. And you'll be very, very interested to see, uh, interesting to see what's happening in this world today. Armenia and Azerbaijan, right? It's very interesting. That's part of the Balkan region. It was part of the revived Roman Empire. Now, let me stay there. Okay. Now, coming back to our study here, the interval between the end of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week will be characterized, as the scripture says, by unrest and war for the nation of Israel. It says, until the end of the war, desolation is determined. So therefore, unlike the first two subdivisions of 70 weeks and 62 weeks, the time gap between the 69th and the 70th week is not known. And we know it today as the church age or the age of grace. It began with our Lord dying on the cross and it stretches to an unknown time. We do not know the time for the age of grace to end. We do not know. Only the Father knows about it. Now for me, when I look at this, this actually shows to us the heart of God. Why? Because He desires all people to be saved. That's what He desires. He desires people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says, God says this, I have no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why? Uh, for why should you die, O house of Israel? What a gracious and merciful God that we have, who desires that all will come to a saving knowledge of him. And that is why, for me, I don't think, this is my interpretation of why there is undetermined time period between the 69th and the 70th week. God wants everyone to know him. His message and gospel to spread across the world. Now, are there any prophecies yet to be fulfilled before the 70th week begins? Personally, I don't think so. We are living in times when the rapture of the church can take place any moment and for the 70th week to begin. And Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 8, the Lord provides some signs such as world wars, wars, famines, pandemics that we are actually experiencing today, and earthquakes in various places. When all of these things are seen, especially when all of these things come together at the same period of time, then you know that the end is very near. And that is why the Lord says that we are living in times of the birth pang. The rapture of the church is very imminent. Will the rapture signal the beginning of the 70th week? Now that's a question that many of us sometimes are confused, saying that when the rapture takes place, 
the beginning of the 70th week occurs. Well, according to Daniel here, Daniel chapter 9, the 70th week does not begin with the rapture of the church. We are not sure of the time gap between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the 70th week. We don't know the time gap, right? It can be several years, it can be days, we don't know. But one thing is very clear. The 70th week begins when he, who is the he, the Antichrist, signs a seven-year covenant with Israel. And that's when the 70th year begins. So verse 27 says this, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That one week, seven years, is the 70th week. Now what is contained in the covenant? Well, verse 27 tells us uh, what's contained in the covenant. You also read, for example, Isaiah chapter 28. It tells us what's contained in the covenant. God refers to this covenant as a covenant with death and hell. Covenant with death and hell. The covenant has to do with the security and the freedom for sacrifice and worship. That's what the covenant has to do. This means that the temple must be built for sacrifices and worship to occur. Uh, and we know that the temple can be built somewhere close to the Dome of the Rock, not actually on the Dome of the Rock, but close to the Dome of the Rock. That all instruments needed for sacrifice and offering has to be built. We know that it has to happen. The red heifer must be available for Israel's cleansing. Now, preparation for all of these things as we speak, I believe, is happening in Israel. Right? And move towards this is happening in the political front. Now, I was very interested to see what is happening in uh, Israel. The so-called peace process that was brokered by good old Trump between Israel and, and the UAE and now with, with, with Sudan. Right? With UAE, it occurred on the 15th of September. It's actually a step towards this possibility to signal, to say, hey, a Muslim nation can have a peace treaty with Israel. It signals that possibility. Now, I don't know how this whole um, peace accord will pan out. As I said, I don't know how it will pan out. But for me, it's very significant. However, the scripture says this, the covenant is short-lived because in the middle of the seven-year covenant, the Antichrist will force an end to sacrifice and offering. But instead, on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. So the word wing uh, refers to the pinnacle of the temple. So on the very pinnacle of the temple, the Antichrist will have his image and cause many to come and worship his image. He will cause desolation to happen to the Jewish people, which happens in the last half of the seven years. And this desolation is determined for the nation of Israel for three and a half years. It's a determined period of time. And after the 70th week, or the, when the 70th week is complete, then the messianic kingdom will begin and continue thereafter for thousand years. So I believe that this prophecy of 70 weeks was given to Daniel to correct his misinterpretation of Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, one thing I need, I, I, I need us to understand this. Daniel prayed expecting the messianic kingdom will be established because for him, the 70 year desolation is over. His prayer is a prayer of a man expecting the coming of Israel's Messiah. And in a similar sense, we are living in a time where the rapture of the church will take place any time bringing to, a, uh, to, a, uh, to the beginning of the 70th week. There are no more prophecies to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. 
So we are really, really living in the time of birth pangs. Unlike Daniel's interpretation, we have a real clarity that the rapture of the church will take place any moment. So the question is this, knowing that, how should we pray? How should we affect our prayer lives knowing that? And that's the important thing. And we see that in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 shows us how Daniel prayed, expecting the Messianic kingdom to come. Right? And this is a real challenge for us today. First, it's important to note this, that Daniel prayed recognizing the time he was in. Recognizing the time he was in. And as believers, we should do likewise. We should pray recognizing that the time that we are in. And this should actually change the way that we pray. Yes, we still pray for our needs. We still pray for others around us who have pressing issues. We still pray for our church. We still pray for our country. But our focus, knowing that the time that we are in, should be praying for prepared hearts. And that's what you see in Daniel's prayer. He prayed for prepared hearts. Daniel prayed that God will forgive the sins of his people so that they are prepared for Israel's Messiah. And that's the challenge that we should have as believers. Are we intentionally praying with a recognition, an explicit recognition that the time that we are in? Are we praying for prepared hearts? In my daily prayer, this has been my challenge. So when I pray in my daily prayer, I pray for the hearts of my children. I pray for the hearts of my son-in-law, my grandson who is here, that they will be ready and prepared when the rapture takes place. I pray that they will have a closer walk with the Lord, that my little grandson here will come to know the Lord Jesus as his Savior when he reaches the age of accountability so that he won't be left behind. Right? The worst thing to do is to have your grandkids left behind. I pray for that. Right? And then my prayer turns uh, to my friends, those of you in fellowship. I pray for your kids. I pray for some of you all whose kids do not know the Lord. Right? I pray for them, that they will be prepared and ready at His appearing. Now let me be honest with you. I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy this, that we should love his appearing. That's what Paul says. We should love his appearing. Now, if I ask the church today, as good brethren, what will you say? I'm sure as good brethren, you say, yes, I'm yearning for the Lord's return. However, personally, let me honest, be honest with you, I don't feel that way. I have a real tension in this. Why? Because I have a brother whose children do not know the Lord. They are young. They have reached the age of accountability. If the rapture takes place, I know for sure they will be left behind. And as I said, I have a grandson, and my daily prayer is that he'll come to know the Lord when he reaches the age of accountability. I don't want him to be left behind. Many of us, many of you have children. You have grandchildren. You have cousins. You have nephews. You have nieces who do not know the Lord. Do you want to see them left behind? Are you praying for prepared hearts? Are you really, really praying for prepared hearts in light of the time that we are living in? That was Daniel's prayer. He was praying that the people of Israel would have a prepared heart. His people would have a prepared heart. And that's our challenge in light of the rapture of the church that will soon 
take place. And moving beyond the circle of family friends, we have billions in this world today who are facing a lost eternity. Do we pray for them? Do we support ministries that, out, that reaches out for the lost souls? Do we recognize the time that we are in? What is our focus in prayer? And let's be challenged by Daniel's prayer. Let's pray as Daniel prayed, recognizing the time that we are in. And let's pray for prepared hearts. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that this morning we were able to look at the backbone of your prophecy, of your coming, of your timing, and the recognition, O oh Lord, that the Lord's coming is soon. The rapture of the church can take place any moment. Father, we thank you that many of us here who are gathered here, our hearts are prepared for you. We have come to know you as our own Savior. We acknowledge you, and that's why this morning that we, when we come before you, we thank you uh, through this symbol of bread and wine, of the suffering and the death that the Lord underwent for us. And because of that, because of his substitutionary death, the penalty of our sins are removed. And our hope is in you, and we thank and praise you for that. But we pray, O oh Lord, as we just looked at today, that we also pray for our family, for our friends, for those of us around us who still do not know the Lord, that they would have a heart that is prepared when the Lord comes. The Savior is precious in his worthy, and in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.